0: Grab your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 3 this morning. We're continuing in our Advent series. As Shannon mentioned, in case you missed it, it's December. And uh, we're on the final stretch of 2023. And there is nothing better to do with our lives than uh, focus our hearts and minds on the person of Jesus as we close the year. And that's what Advent's about. Advent is something that the global church has participated in for close to 1,500 years. And as a a four-square church, we're just one expression of the body of Christ. And we're gathering with millions across the globe to focus our hearts on Jesus during during the holiday season. And my wife, uh, Katie, last week preached a, a beautiful message on hope. To kick off our Advent series. If you missed that, you can go check that out later. And I I thought her illustration of God's work in the world through a medical lens was not only fascinating, it was very profound. Uh, She explained that there's a sickness in our world because of sin. Uh, In her her words, uh, the world is broken and we broke it. And this sickness that is in the world is beyond our ability to fix. So we needed a surgeon. We needed somebody to come and perform life saving surgery and our God did. He sent his son Jesus to rescue us, to be our our surgeon. But I love what she said. The the wounds are still healing. There's still sickness in the world, is there not? And and our surgeon, our Savior is continuing to heal not even not just those he's already saved, but Through his people and by his spirit, he's proclaiming the good news of hope to a world that's in need of healing and restoration. And so we get to be a part of that story. And so we hold on to a realized hope. A savior has come. He has delivered. He has rescued. The sick are made well. But we hold on to a future hope that our savior is coming again. And when he does, all things will be made new. Anyone grateful for that reality today? Future hope. Today we move on to the second topic of Advent, love. And I'm going to have my son come and light the candles for me. It's your time to shine, man. (laughs) A quick side note for those who maybe follow the tradition of Advent or have done for some time. This order may be a little different than a tradition that, that you have practiced. Maybe you have... Uh, walk through Advent, hope, peace, joy, love. Uh, and We're doing hope, love, joy, peace. Great job, Zeke. Yeah, you can clap for Zeke. You nailed it. Um, there's a couple different orders that have been practiced traditionally. We just, we just chose the one that we did. If you came today thinking, hey, I can't wait for a message on peace, you're just going to have to hold out for a couple more weeks. Uh, we'll get there. I want to approach the topic of love uh, from a a well-known story in the scriptures. And uh, maybe the story itself is not as well-known, but there is a scripture that we will read that is very well-known. And you may even have it committed to memory, or at least you've seen it at a sporting event at some point in your life. It's John 3.16. I want to read this together. Here's the text. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. These are the words of Jesus in the midst of a conversation with a religious man who is trying to figure him out. And what I love about the story that we'll read is that Jesus meets him right in the midst of his confusion and helps him unpack what love is. You may not feel like a religious man or woman today. Maybe you do. <clears throat> but I think we're going to be able to connect with this story because the man is hungry for God. He's hungry to know Jesus. He's hungry to understand God. But there seemed to be a number of things that kind of stood in the way for him. Barriers for him to trust. And, and I would assume that maybe, maybe you have felt that way at times. Have you ever, have you ever thought, man... I want to I know God, I, I want to understand God, or maybe I need God, or God, I'm desperate for you to intervene in my circumstances, but, but why does it seem like there's certain barriers in my relationship with you? Why does it seem like I can't fully understand or I don't quite get how this works out? I want to suggest that, that most of those hurdles that you and I experience in this life are not hurdles created by God, but rather obstacles that have been put in place by human beings who are vulnerable and broken. And so we assume that because of our relationship with people, that this is the way God works, and yet God actually stands above that. So a lot of the hurdles are things that we've created, because we have this incredible tendency as as human beings to overcomplicate things. True? True? We overcomplicate things. We, we lose focus. We focus on the wrong things. Uh, we, we maybe major on things that are really minor or minor on things that are really major. <laughs> right? We get hyper-focused on things that really are not that big of a deal. And the things that are a huge deal, we go, ah, oh, that's not that, oh, we like this other stuff. This is our history. We get twisted up. And we're not the first. This has been the story of humanity from the beginning of time. And so when we engage in these stories of Scripture, it's beautiful because we're, they're actually our stories. It's your story. It's my story. It's been humanity's story from the very beginning. And in John chapter 3, we meet Nicodemus, a confused religious man who's hungry to know Jesus, to know who he really is, hungry enough to put his reputation on the line. Sort of. Well, I'll explain that <laughs> in a minute. So let's read this, John 3, verse 1. This is the story. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So a couple things to note just from these first few verses. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. So he's not just a religious person, he's a religious leader. The text describes him as a ruler of the Jews. Meaning that when people had questions about God, or what it meant to follow God, or trust God, who do you think they went to for these answers? A guy like Nicodemus. He was supposed to be the one that, that kind of knew the things of God. And so imagine Imagine being Nicodemus. Imagine this is you in the story. And you're going about your life. You're you're going about your responsibilities of caring for the people and continuing to teach them about who God is. And then Jesus shows up in your world and he starts creating this massive stir. People start asking these questions about God that are bigger than what you can understand or explain. You start asking questions yourself, like, do I really understand the things of God like I think I do? Imagine getting spun up by the presence of Jesus, but also remember, as Nicodemus, you're a religious leader, so you've got to be all put together, right? You, you can have questions, but not too many, because <laughs> you, you better have the answers to these things. He had a hunger for Jesus, but... But Nicodemus was not hungry enough to make it super public yet, because notice, when did he come to Jesus? At night. So he sneaks off maybe after the responsibilities of the day to like, I need to get some information, but I don't necessarily want people to know that I'm going to meet with this guy to figure him out. But he tells Jesus, you have to be something, because the things that you're doing, no human being can do that. So God, God's at work somehow in all of this. Jesus responds in verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? For Nicodemus to see and understand the things of God, he needed new eyes. He needed to be born again. He needed to start over, in a sense, like a newborn experiencing the world for the first time with fresh eyes. quick side note, I don't think it's a coincidence that when Jesus was carrying on his ministry, he often pointed to children as examples of faith? Could it be because maybe children are yet to be jaded by the world and they still have a fresh outlook on life? <laughs> they can still see the world with new eyes? Jesus tells Nicodemus, you got to reboot, man. You, you need a hard reset to understand who I am and what I'm about and what I'm doing. And this was difficult for Nicodemus to wrap his head around for a couple of reasons. One, practically, you see it in the text, Nicodemus' brain is spinning. He's like, okay, he's processing the birth situation, and he's like, it's definitely not designed to go in reverse, like, that's not how this thing works. I can't, I can't as an old man be born again, like, what are you talking about? What weird voodoo stuff are you presenting here, Jesus? That's not possible. So that's the practical side, confusing. Secondly, for Nicodemus to follow the instruction of Jesus, he would have to let go of many things that had defined his understanding of God. And Nicodemus had a lot of them. Because he was one of the highest trained people around on the things of God. Think about this. As a Pharisee, he would have had much, if not all, of the Old Testament committed to memory. How are we doing in that today? (laughs) So so this guy, he would have won every Bible quiz and sword drill without a Bible in his hands. He'd be like, Rolodex in his brain, this is what it is, right? He, He knew the things of God. They were etched deep into his very being. But with all the knowledge, and with all of his training, and all of his understanding, he was having trouble seeing God... Who was in the flesh, right in front of him? He didn't have eyes to see. Nicodemus needed to be born again. He needed the Spirit of God to reveal to him the things of God. Everything that he knew needed to be reevaluated with resurrected eyes. On a personal level, I, I can relate to this story deeply and. And and I'm sure on some level you can too. There's many things throughout my life personally that I've picked up, that I've learned about God, that I've been taught about God. I'll illustrate it this way. Um, This is going to be my box of understanding, okay? Brenda and I were laughing because this is actually a box of barbecue pork, but today it's going to be my understanding and, and over my life, uh, through the uh, church that I grew up in, through the family that I was born into, through the friends that I have, I collected in my box things about God. Things about who He was and how He operated and how He lived. I watched my parents live a certain way and so things went into my box and it, it formed my picture of who God is and how He acts. Uh, my friends... Some who followed Jesus and some who didn't, I learned things and they went into my box and helped form my understanding of who God was. And so over my life, this box began to fill up and has filled up to this point in my life of all the ways that I've seen God, even cultural ways. Like, we're affected by the way culture views God. As kids, we're seeing God represented in shows and movies, kind of on the side. And so that goes into the box because as a kid, you're just hungry. You're learning and you're understanding. And all of that kind of begins to fill our box. But at some point in my life, at some point in my life a shift had to take place. A shift that really every person has to kind of walk through or experience. And it's a shift from knowing a lot of things about God to having a personal relationship with God. And there's a difference. There's a difference Between having a box of understanding this is who God is, to go, no, I know who God is on a personal level. Relationally, I know God. And this is what Jesus is offering in the story. He's saying, He's saying to Nicodemus, You you need fresh eyes, you need to be born again. You need to understand that God is actually standing in front of you, and it might not look like the way you thought it was going to look. You need fresh eyes to see. Here's how I see this play out. Um, Zeke, I'm going to have you come back up here. I didn't prep you for this, but... Let's see what happens. Could you just come stand right here. Zeke, you're going to represent Jesus today. Good luck with that. Uh, and, and here's how I think this plays out in our relationship. If, if Zeke is Jesus, this, it's like over time we build our understanding of God, we fill our box of understanding. And Jesus can be standing right in front of us, and all we want to do is tell Jesus about who he is by explaining what's in our box. This is, this is who you are, Jesus. This is what it looks like to follow you and live with you, and yet the whole time Jesus is actually present right in front of us going, nailed it, you can sit down, that was perfect. Isn't it funny that that's actually what we can do? We we can hold on to these things about who God is, and yet, as He so greatly uh, acted, like, I'm right here. I'm right in front of you. This is what's going on. Back to Nicodemus. Nicodemus had his own box of understanding, right? And I would suggest it was a rather large box, bigger than probably all of ours collectively about the things of God. Overflowing, you might say, but watch how this works out with him. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? (laughs) He's like, me. (laughs) And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Translation, Nicodemus, you can't see the work of heaven if you're fixated on your own work and your own understanding. You have to be able to see me, Jesus. You have to be able to see him. You need eyes to see. And this brings us to our famous scripture verse. (laughs) Such a lovely uh, little verse to us. But for Nicodemus, this verse, this saying of Jesus completely flips his world upside down. Because Jesus is communicating the heartbeat of God. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So here's the challenge for Nicodemus Nicodemus had his box. Again, it was a full box. He knew God really, really well, better than, again, all of us combined, probably. The scriptures were etched into his very being. He was also well-versed in the law, a whole list of laws that were meant to keep you from breaking the law of God. So not only did you have the law of God, but all these laws on top of the law of God to keep you from going anywhere near breaking the law of God. And here was this Pharisee who knew all of that by heart. And he was responsible, he felt responsible for that. He took his job seriously to follow God and to follow the rule book and to obey God. And to violate that, to violate the ways of God, to violate the law of God was, was to disobey God and to be ignorant of the ways of God. And so Nicodemus saw himself, and think about this, he saw everyone else through this lens. And his box of understanding was actually a box of condemnation. And here's why. I'll explain this. No one was living perfectly under the law. Not even Nicodemus. So even though a great effort was given, no one was passing the test. Now, as a good religious man, Nicodemus certainly looked like he was passing the test. but he was still a broken person. Everyone was falling short, which meant that through the lens of Nicodemus, everyone was condemned. Everyone was, was to be judged. Everyone was to experience the fire of God, the wrath of God for their brokenness and for their sin. Jesus, in the story, welcomes Nicodemus at night to share with him some really good news. God loves the world. God so loved the world that he sent his son. God's desire is to rescue and save the world, not to condemn it. And here's the kicker. The gift is available not through greater understanding, but through believing in Jesus. Believing that he is who he says he is. Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must be born again. He must see the world through a fresh set of eyes. He's invited to set down his own understanding to receive the love of God that is standing right in front of him. That's available to him. This is the gospel. And it is good news. You actually don't have to have everything figured out about God to be loved and forgiven in Christ Jesus. Anybody thankful for that? He sees you right where you are. Like Nicodemus, he sees you in the midst of your own challenges and struggles and misunderstandings. And the story of the scripture is that God came to us in that place and said, I love you. I see you and I love you. Love has come, love has arrived. That's what we're remembering at Advent. But I don't want to forget the weight and the reality of this story because this was a truly life-changing belief for a guy like Nicodemus. For him to actually believe what he's being presented with would change his life completely. He would have to set down everything that he understood. Or maybe a better way to say it, because here's the reality a lot of the things that we pick up, that Nicodemus picked up over time, some of those things are actually good. But we need the eyes of God, we need the spirit of God to show us what's good in this. We need to have his insight. And so when we're walking with Jesus, he actually helps us understand what the scriptures mean. Are you with me? So it doesn't mean that everything that's happened up to this point in our life, or everything that happened up to that point in Nicodemus' life was all bad. It's his perspective, his heart before the Lord. He was needed to set this down in order to receive what was being presented to him. To set down the box was an act of surrender. And guys, this is true for us too. It's an act of surrender to believe what we believe. We've got to get over ourselves, really. It's almost like like dying to ourselves. Or exactly like dying to ourselves. Because isn't that the story that we're a part of? I mean, think about water baptism. The the symbolism of water baptism is that when you believe in Jesus, you take this next step of water baptism, and what are you doing? You're going down into the water, beneath the water, which symbolizes you're dying to yourself, and you're being resurrected to new life in Christ. And you have a spirit so that you can see with fresh new eyes. So it's this act of dying. And I I think that we make that decision to follow Jesus, but I think every day of our life is a decision to say, All right, I've picked this up again. I need to set it down. Because this is about trusting you, God. This is about believing that your spirit is within me to teach me and guide me and lead me. We have to be born again. Jesus knew this, and he knew that it would be a struggle. Uh, Verse 19, continuing the text. He says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world... And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. A couple of questions for us to consider. Uh, as we close and uh, you can actually grab your communion worship team you guys can join me couple of questions to to reflect on and consider today first one is this what's in your box what's in your wallet I know that's what's going on in your mind (laughs) because that's what's went on in my mind when I wrote that down what's in your box what What have you collected? What have you put together over your lifetime that has become the thing that defines God and defines your relationship with God? Could it be that there's things in your box that are actually not true about who God is that need to be set down? What's in your box? Second question is, do you believe in God's unconditional love and favor over your life? Do you you believe in the gospel that your right standing with God is not your effort or understanding, it's the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? You're loved. He loves you. Now maybe you go, yeah, I, I believe that. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? you believe that's true for you? Do you believe that he does see you and know your story and know your name and know your challenges and that he's present with you? Love showed up. Uh, final question uh, maybe to consider is do you need to be born again? Maybe you've, maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus, the Son of God, and so you don't have new eyes, so you don't have fresh eyes. And yet you're hungry to know God. You want the things of God, but it's just been hard to see. Maybe today, it's, it's a new day. It's, it's, it's a day to be born again, to say, Jesus, I put my hope in you. I recognize that I'm falling short. I've fallen short. I don't have the answers. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. But I believe that you are the Son of God who came to save me. Maybe you need fresh eyes today. Maybe you need a new heart today. And I'm telling you, God is here to give that because he loves you. As believers, we share in this symbolic meal to remember the truths that I just discussed. That we serve a God that didn't stand at a distance. And as Katie mentioned last week, uh, a surgeon who actually has good bedside manner. Strange thought. Uh, (laughs) It's a different conversation. He came to be with us. He he understood our pain and our suffering because he entered into it. We serve a God who didn't stand in heaven and say, hey, figure it all out. He came and he showed us what it looked like to live with him. And he gave his life to pay for all of our wrongdoing. All of my sin, all of your sin, all of our waywardness, all of the sickness, he bore on himself. He took on his shoulders because he loves us and he wants us to be free. He wants us to be whole. On the night that he was betrayed by his own people, he sat with them at a meal. He shared with them a meal and he began to describe what was going to happen and they were really confused about all of it. But what he demonstrated to them in word and in deed was, listen, I'm willing to give my life for you. My body is going to be broken, my blood is going to be shed, and it's going to be for your healing and your Resurrection and your redemption. And as a community of faith, we got to come back to that because we make it, we're so quick, and I think Jesus knew this, we're so quick to make it about a whole lot of other things. And so we come to this meal to remember we're loved in Christ Jesus. His body was broken, his blood was shed. Let's take the bread together. For the forgiveness of all of our sins the grace of God. Let's receive the cup.